0: Welcome to Education Talks, I'm David Burke. Dr. Michael Berry is an experienced school leader and education professional, currently serving as the head of school at Bandung Independent School in Indonesia. With a career spanning almost three decades in international school settings and a doctorate of education focused in educational leadership, I was keen to chat with him about what makes a good school and what shapes a good school leader. Well, Dr. Michael Berry, welcome to Education
1: Talks. Uh, thank you, Dave. It's uh, very, very exciting to be here. Thanks for having me along. Appreciate it.
0: Uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Um, where are you joining us from?
1: Uh, right now, I'm in my at my school, Bandung Independent School in Bandung, uh, Indonesia. We're about we're located about 150 kilometers southeast of Jakarta. So, on a good day in traffic, I can get from Jakarta to here in about two and a half hours. On a bad day, well, much longer. <laughs>
0: Um, So you're the head of school. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your role in in the school?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would. uh, My role in the school has changed over the past couple of years. So when I took over the head of school position, it was right during the beginning of the pandemic. And in fact, I was in Singapore before I came to Indonesia. I couldn't get into Indonesia uh, due to the borders being closed. I extended my visa in Singapore as long as I could. And finally, Singapore said, Michael, you need to go. <laughs> so I went to the States and I was working online uh, from the States. And my role at that point, um, and I did that for about four months before I was able to get in Indonesia. But my role at that point, and I'll be quite honest with you, was just to get the school through the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that every other uh, educator in the world had, you know, dealt with uh, trials and tribulations of, of the pandemic. But just getting the school from where we were then to where we are now, all the while losing uh, student after student, it was literally, you know, a day to day operation of, you know, what's going to happen now? You know, we were online or hybrid learning for, you know, of uh, uh, for about a year and a half, two years. So just getting the students and the teachers from where they were at the beginning of the pandemic to where we are now was was challenging. My role now, so we lost about 35% of our students. We've regained about 20 to 22% of those students or new students. Um, So my role now is to grow the school. And again, I'll, I'll be very honest with you, um, we lost a great deal of money last year, uh, and we're still losing money this year. If I get those ten percent student, those ten percent back, then we'll be back to making money. So luckily, the school was very well run. Uh, the board um, is, is very involved. We had, uh, uh, I guess, a stack of money set to the side for a rainy day, and the rainy day came, and and we're still okay. But my role now is to get us from uh, surviving to actually making money where we can we can better resource the school uh, for the students
0: wow um so you're currently head of school but can you take us right back to the early part of your career and can you tell us sort of um you know why you decided to become a teacher and sure. uh, yeah. also just step us through your your career progress
1: yeah i i think like many people that i've spoken to in education you know that uh, they kind of slipped into the education field. Um, I think I'd always been drawn to education you know, when I was in high school, simply because I come from a big family. My dad's family is very big. My mom's family is very big. And there were always cousins, aunts, uncles around. So I think I was always drawn to it. But oddly enough, I don't know if you're, how aware you are of the uh, education system in the States, but teachers typically don't make very much money. And I was actually advised to go against uh, my initial uh, draw, uh, drawing towards education and go into business. I failed miserably at that. In fact, I think the first uh, after a couple of months being in, quote unquote, business school, I had had enough and I just dropped out. Um, so I worked for a couple of years trying to figure out what I want to do. And then, you know, I, I went back to education. So I went back and I got my bachelor's degree in elementary education, a reading specialist uh, as a master's degree. And then and when, when I became, uh, during my master's degree, I decided I was going to take a trip overseas, right? And I did that. I went to Europe and I just got the travel bug, right? And I came back and I graduated and I said, you know, I'm going to try international education for a year, see what happens, <laughs> 27 years. I'm still in international education, edu- education doing the same thing. So it's uh, and I've talked to a number of, of teachers and, and and leaders who have said the same thing that they were going to try it for a year, and they've never gone back because this is it's a fantastic job to have, being able to work overseas, work with people from all over the world, being. Uh, embedded in, in, in cultures, it's, a, it's an amazing lifestyle to be able to have lived for 27 years. And the other part, I would say is I have two children, I think the best gift I've been able to give them is the fact that they have been able to learn in classrooms, you know, there'd be 22 kids in the class from you know 16 different countries. And so much of the learning took place, yes, within the curriculum that was provided, but also learning from their, their friends within the classroom. So I, I, I look back on that, and that was a great gift that I could give my own children.
0: We all become global citizens, don't we, when we go we into do.
1: international We do, we do. You know, and, and you know, I've, I've been in IV for quite some time, and people throw out the terms global citizens and international mindedness without much thought to it. But if you consider those words and consider the context behind them, it's, uh, it's grandiose for sure, but it's also incredibly important for this, this world that's growing smaller and smaller day by day.
0: Absolutely. For me, when I went into international teaching, it was supposed to be two years. I took yeah. some leave without pay uh, to go overseas and thought, oh, I'll just come back to my old job. Well, I didn't go back to my old job and I've been overseas, <laughs> not for as long as you yet, but I, I can't see myself going, going back anytime soon. That's for sure.
1: So Um, how many years have you been doing this?
0: uh, Outside of Australia, it's now coming up on six and a half years. uh, It goes by fast,
1: doesn't
0: it? It does. Um, Now, in addition to your current role, you're also part-time adjunct professor at Wilkes University. Uh, Can you share what you do in in that role?
1: Yeah, so I've I've been very fortunate um, to be involved with Wilkes University. So that's where... Um, I received my doctorate degree from. So I was part of the very first cohort from Wilkes out of Pennsylvania, uh, their first international cohort. And that was back, I think I, that was, they started that back in 2000, uh, 2011. Um, and I've been able to stick with them, You know, been doing some work with them. Um, I do, I teach a few classes. One is at the master's level, it's uh, intercultural communication. And the students in that class basically are in the States. You get a few that might be outside of the States, but they're basically there in Pennsylvania. And they are, they're teachers who are aspiring to be leaders, whether it be a principal or, or whatever. So that's that's uh, um, the clientele for that role. But I also I'm very fortunate to teach a couple of classes at their doctorate level. Um, and those students, the doctorate level, uh, the doctorate that's offered at Wilkes, the education it's, it's geared towards international educators. So I said, I started in 2011, I was teaching overseas in Oman and that cohort, uh, we had 14 teachers from our, from our school representing, I think there were six different countries. So that program, the Wilkes program has grown and grown over time. So the last uh, course I taught, um, so I talked about international, it was, um, there were eight teachers from uh, eight different uh, living in eight different countries and they represented their nationalities were five different countries. You know, the States, Canada, there were um, uh, Egypt, um, there was Spain and I can't remember the fifth, but just having those students come together and have those rich conversations about, about, uh, about culture, Mm -hmm. about looking at, what we do as leaders to initiate and sustain change within the schools. So as even though I was facilitating the class, I get to speak to all these leaders and they're already leaders. They're already principals. They're already heads of schools. So I get to, to steal just as much information from them as they take from me. So I think that that has been just an incredible Uh, professional professional development experience for me to be being able to interact with all of these these educators from all over the world multiple times per year because I teach that class uh, uh, throughout the year it's it's a great experience
0: well that's interesting because that might uh, give you a really good insight to answer some of the next few questions because I wanted to ask you you know you've worked in in many countries and of course you've been now in touch with a lot of people in working in mm-hmm. international schools in different countries, what would you say is the most important and perhaps universal aspect of a successful school community?
1: Yeah, I think there are, there are a couple of points to that. Um, and I think it all begins with um, the school's guiding statements, the mission and the vision and the values that the school represents and i have worked in schools where missions and visions have been nothing more than posters on a wall and the only time that they get referred to or revisited is when it comes for accreditation right something like that but if you work in a school who lives up to what their mission and their vision says, because the mission and the vision, you're telling the world what you are as a school and what you value, what you represent. And I think schools should be held responsible for making those day-to-day decisions that reflect what is written in the mission and the vision of schools. So I think that's part of it, right? It all falls under that umbrella. And the other part is we talk about success in schools is you have to hire the right people, who reflect that mission and vision, mm-hmm. right? It's very difficult um, if you if if to hire people who don't match that mission and vision because there's always going to be some, not always toxicity, but there's always going to be some kind of drama that you may have to deal with mm-hmm. if those if those mentalities don't don't align. And the other part, it's not just with the teachers, um, but when In my schools, I am very explicit that any time that I have a, a meeting with the parents, a, a presentation with the parents, we always start with the mission and vision of the school because mm-hmm. it's that important that every stakeholder um, be aware of what the mission and the vision says. So I think it, it stems from there. And then when you, when you talk about the day-to-day workings of a school, it's setting up these systems, systems that that prepare the school to be successful. Um, for example, I've worked in schools where, for example, we do map testing, right? And the person who's in charge of map testing, it's assigned to their email address, right? Well, in international education, people come and people go, it's a very transient population, but mm-hmm. that's what we do. So it's just it's simple, you know, systems that, okay, instead of setting up with a personal email address, we're going to set it up to a uh, a, um, a role. Mm-hmm. And it's just sometimes it's as simple as that. But if you haven't been involved in it and you haven't experienced these, these frustrations, then sometimes you don't think about it. But at the end of the day, when it comes to uh, setting up a community of, of learners who support each other, parents who support the students, parents who support the school, it all has to be buy in with that mission and vision.
0: So the mission and vision sets the, the scene. Um, but what are some of the similarities and differences, perhaps between, you know, schools or yeah. you know, families, students that you've worked at in different parts of the world?
1: Yeah, I think um, one universal would be that we have to remember that parents love their children very dearly and they want what's going to be best for their children. And we have to remind them that the teachers are also the same. We want the best for their children. Sometimes the conversation revolves around what's best, right? The best for the parents is not necessarily the best for for the children. But if we have those conversations, if we can have them, because if that no matter where I've been in the world, this issue has always come up, right? What's going to be best for the students? You have your, your parent perspective and you have the teacher perspective. The differences, I think the differences that I've seen, it basically boils down to the different embedded culture that each family has. So sometimes there can be uh, nationals who go to the to the school, right, the local um, uh, parents. But then you have international uh, parents coming from all over the world. When I was in the Middle East, we had a thousand students from 70 different nationalities. So it's hard to. To accommodate every nationality because the culture is so different. Uh, so those are some of the differences that we've we've had to come through. But again, when I learned about the importance of the mission division, it came from Dr. Mona national Smith, who was the head of school there. And she there was something that she always spoke about was the mission division of the school. It's what it's the common thread that pulls us all together, no matter what nationality that we're from, right? If we can agree on those. Those those statements, then that's what holds us together. Is there is there strife sometime, or there is there some misunderstanding? Absolutely. I mean, that's to be except, expected when you have that many nationalities involved. But for the most part, if you can, as a leader, go back and defend your decisions that you make, and you can you can attach that to the mission and vision, then I think that's more than more than the biggest part of the battle.
0: Um, you touched on this earlier. One of the most challenging aspects of international schools of course is the turnover of staff mm. so you know in your experience how how does a school go about not just building but also maintaining that positive school culture when there is such a turnover
1: yeah so depending on on what you read you know most people believe that um, in an in a, international school 10 to 15 percent turnover rate uh, per year is is okay right it's when you get above those numbers that that's when you start losing part of that, well, that institutional memory of mm-hmm. what happens in the, in the school. You start losing a little bit of that. Um, again, part of it, you know, when, when I hire teachers, I, we do talk about the mission and vision of the school. Absolutely. But it's also their mentality. Right. So um, I want to make sure that when I hire teachers, that that they are nice people. Right. I've said, uh, you know, many times before I can teach a teacher how to teach, but I can't teach them to be nice people. Right. So that's that's part of it. Um, The other part is is um, setting the school up, looking at this transition is to make sure that you have a clear idea going into the recruiting season of what you actually need. Um, And then it's also going back and setting up those systems that when people leave, that whoever comes in after that can just step in and take over. If you don't have those systems in place, then many times you have to recreate a system which makes the school run less efficiently than if that system was already in place. Systems change, they evolve evolve depending on some of the people who who you bring in and some of the people who leave. But having those systems in place help to ensure that There is a healthy transition when somebody comes in and when somebody leaves. And if you you have the opportunity to have those transitional meetings between those people who are leaving and the ones coming in, um, then we try to set those up as well. So it's just looking at trying to make the transition as smooth as possible. Because at the end of the day, as we said, if you're in international education, this transition, people coming and people going is something that you have to deal with just about every single year.
0: I have to admit, I'm one of those people that contributes to that. I tend to bounce uh, between different schools too, too far too often. But of course, I, you know, had the experience of, I guess, on both sides of being able to um, experience a really good transition into schools, and hopefully played my part in in helping with um, that transition for the next person. Very vital. Um, I wanted to ask you um, what would be one piece of advice you would give to an aspiring school leader who might be thinking about, you know, going down the leadership path?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, um, if you ask me that question next month, I might have a different answer. It's always changing, right? But Mm -hmm. I think um, obviously knowing uh, if you're going to go to a different school, just making sure that you know about that school. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, if I were, you know, an aspiring leader, I would want to know, you know, what's my leadership style? You know, what, Mm -hmm. what do I identify with? Um, does that style match the school that I'm going in right and the other part would be you know as just because you're going into a leadership role don't think that you have to know everything there is about education Mm -hmm. uh, because it's impossible and and I think some people especially when they're new in a leadership they they believe that they have to know everything that there is they believe that they can't say no when somebody asks them a question, which is which is not the case at all. I also find that people coming into leadership positions, they like policies, right, because they don't want to make that tough decision on, you know, what's the policy say? What's the policy say? Most of the time when you're in schools, the decisions that you're making day to day don't fall either on the right side or the left side of that policy. There's much more information that needs to be taken in, into consideration. Speaking of tough conversations, if you're not if you're if you don't feel that you're able to have those tough tough conversations or if you can't make tough decisions uh, because the decisions that we have to make, uh, they're not going to please everybody. It's impossible Uh, that if you can't do that now, then that's something that you need to investigate into is how do you have those conversations? But being able to be very open with your staff to be vulnerable with your staff, telling them, you know, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll find out. Mm -hmm. And I think as a leader, we're obligated to, to find the answers that we don't know. If we're making decisions, uninformed decisions, then we're putting the school at risk. We're putting the people within the school at risk. So if I don't know the answer to something, I will go to anybody on the staff who I think can help me. And I'll ask them, you know, what do you think about this? But at the end of the day, um, even when we do that, the decisions that we make are our decisions. No matter the input that we get from other people, we have to take that information. We have to analyze it. And they become our decisions. Because if it's the wrong decision, well, we can't blame somebody else, right? It's our decision. And if it is the wrong decision, you apologize for it and you learn from it, and you don't make that decision again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's it sounds very simple, and it can be. But the information in your head is you're always analyzing information that's coming from different aspects of of the people here in in your school. I know that's that quite- was a long thought out answer, uh, but it's it's uh, I, I think that was a very it's a very important that that leaders. Um, reflect on who they are uh, Mm. because that's going to drive what you do in the future
0: it's a really difficult uh, thing to to do well isn't it like school leadership because you know you've got to of course bring people with you and they've got to respect and understand what you're doing you've got to be consistent but you've more importantly got to care and and so that people are perhaps more willing to accept when you make those tough decisions Yeah. Um, and,
1: yeah, and it, you know, that's so true, right? I mean, when when you do have that that belief in the staff, then when you do make a mistake, and we all do, we all will, right? It's it's what you do with that mistake, right? It's it's how you learn from it. It's how you uh, make atone uh, atonement for it. It's it's uh, it's and when you do that over time, and it's perceived as being genuine, which it should be, then. And yeah, you that's when you begin to be able to create a community where other people are, you know, they're willing to take a risk, right? Be a risk taker and try something new. If it works, great. If it doesn't, well, okay, it didn't work this time. Let's try something else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Michael, what's something that you're currently working on that uh, you're looking forward to or that excites you?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's the looking forward to an excite. Uh, it that's been a trend that's been a transition itself. So this will be. After many years overseas, this will be my last year, at least for a while. Um, I'm going to repatriate back to the states. Uh, my my kids are there now; they're in they're in school. They're loving what they're doing. So I'm going to be moving from an international educator to a public school, hopefully principal leader uh, in the in the state of Kansas, of all places. Uh, there's a long story behind that. how Kansas came into about that. I won't bore you with. But yes, yeah, so. We're looking at uh, at the end of this year, uh, going back to Kansas and and seeing what public education looks like. You know, the last time I was a public ed- education, I was in high school and that was quite a long time ago. So it's going to be interesting to see how how it's changed. Uh, I can see from the outside looking in with my own children, but from the inside looking out. Uh, so I'm I'm very anxious to see what that does look like.
0: Well, uh, after you make that transition, it would be really interesting to have you back on on the program. Perhaps we could explore, you know, reverse culture shock if that uh, might be something you experience. Uh, yeah,
1: very- well, yeah, I'm sure that will be something I experience. You know, it's it's I've I've been overseas for quite some time and I've moved to country to country, and I've never been as nervous about moving to a new place as I am right now about moving back to the United States. It's 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 very interesting. The 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 process that I've gone through since I've made this decision. Wow.
0: Well, um, if people want to get in touch with you, Michael, how can they? How can they go about doing that?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm on 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 uh, LinkedIn, um, uh, Twitter. I can get I, um, I can share those details. Uh, share share them outright. Uh, but I'm easily uh, easily you can easily find me on all of those um, those social media platforms. Uh, yeah, and I would love to, to catch up with some people and and le- live vicariously through some of them when I go back to the States and they're still living internationally. That'd be great.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'll include those links in the description. Um, uh, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. Thanks so much for being on Education Talks.
1: No, I, it, it's been a, it's a, a good experience. I'm glad we got to, to finally catch up. And when I'm back in Singapore, uh, I look forward to, to catching up with you face-to-face.
0: Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Mike.
1: All right,
0: thank you, David. If you enjoyed this episode of Education Talks, please do share with your friends and colleagues. Don't forget to stay subscribed to catch each new episode.